Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm Ashton, and today we're discussing the story and the mystery behind the murder in room 1046. This one has some twists and turns to it, and you know I love a trip in the time machine, so let's get into it. This story begins on January 2nd of 1935. In the early afternoon, a man calling himself Roland T. Owen arrived at the Hotel President in Kansas City, Missouri. Hotel staff, who would later be interviewed, estimated that the man was between 20 and 35 years old. They described him as being well-dressed, with brown hair, a large white scar on his scalp above his ear, and a cauliflower ear, which is something that is common with boxers and wrestlers. The man arrived with a comb, a brush, toothpaste, and nothing else. Roland explained that he was initially from Los Angeles and he was relocating due to the prices at another hotel. He asked for an interior room and the bellboy named Randolph Probst escorted the man to room 1046. Shortly after check-in, the maid, Mary Sopdick, arrived at room 1046. She noticed that the shades were drawn and the only light in the room was from a single lamp on the bedside table. Mary would later say that Roland seemed to be worried or nervous about something. Shortly after Mary arrived, Roland left and he asked her to keep the door unlocked, as he was expecting a friend. When she came back a few hours later to deliver clean towels, she found Roland laying fully dressed on the bed in the dark. She noticed a note sitting on the desk that read, quote, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. The next day, on January 3rd, around 10.30 a.m., Mary returned to clean the room, and she noticed that the door was locked from the outside. So she had to use her master key to enter the room, and she again found Roland sitting on the bed in the dark. So someone had locked the door from the outside, apparently, and he was just hanging out on the bed like he had been the day before. Now, while she was cleaning the room, she overheard Roland on the phone saying, quote, No, Dawn, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. End quote. Mary returned to the room around 4 o'clock p.m. to deliver more towels, and this time she heard two men talking inside of the room. When she knocked on the door and explained that she had fresh towels for them, a deep voice which she recognized as not belonging to Roland, responded to her saying that they didn't need any towels. That night, a woman who was staying in room 1046 recalled hearing loud voices, both male and female, arguing throughout the night in room 1046. It should be noted that there was a party in room 1055 that night, so those voices really could have come from anywhere, but she claimed that she heard the voices coming from room 1046. The next morning on January 4th, around 7 o'clock a.m., the hotel phone operator noticed that the phone in Roland's room was off the hook without being used for a while. So they sent one of the bellboys, a man named Randolph Probst, the same one that had escorted him to the room. They sent him up there to see what was going on. The door was locked, and despite a do not disturb sign hanging on the door, Randolph knocked on the door. And when he did, he heard a voice say, quote, come in, turn on the lights. 
end quote. But the door was locked. And since no one had no one had come to answer the door, Randolph knocked again and told him to put the phone back on the hook, assuming the man was just drunk and out of it. Now, about an hour and a half later at 830 a.m., the phone in room 1046 was once again off the hook. This time, another bellboy named Harold Pike knocked several times before using a master key to let himself into the room. The room was dark, but using the light from the hallway, Harold was able to see a man laying on the bed, naked, and there were some dark stains laying around him. He too assumed the man was drunk and noticed that the bedside table had been knocked over, so he picked it up, put the phone back on the hook before leaving the room. So he saw this man with dark stains around him, and he's like, well, this looks like it's fine, everything's fine. I'm just going to put it back on the put the phone back on the receiver and head out. Okay. Well, a few short hours later, sometime between 10:30 and 11 a.m., the phone was once again off the hook in room 1046. And this time, Randall Probst was sent up to the room to investigate again. And this is when he discovered a grisly scene in the room. He described what he found in a police statement saying, quote, When I entered the room, this man was within two feet of the door on his knees and elbows, holding his head in his hands. I noticed blood on his head. I then turned the light on. I looked around and I saw blood on the walls, on the bed, and in the bathroom. This frightened me and I immediately left the room and went downstairs, end quote. When authorities arrived, they discovered that Roland had been brutally attacked and tortured. He had been tied up around his ankles, wrists, and his neck. He had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest, which had resulted in a punctured lung. And he had a fractured skull from multiple blows to the right side of his head. There was also evidence of strangulation. There was blood all over the floor, walls, and ceiling, but somehow Roland was still alive. When asked about who was in the room with him, Roland responded, nobody. When the detective asked him how he got hurt, he said, quote, I fell against the tub, end quote. He was then transported to the hospital where he fell unconscious before dying in the early hours of January 5th of 1935. Doctors were able to determine that his injuries had occurred six to seven hours before he had been discovered. So if the phone operator first noticed the phone off the hook around 7 a.m. and he wasn't discovered injured until 10.30 or 11, he had already been bleeding out and suffering for about three hours before the time the phone operator first noticed that the phone was off the hook. Oof. The lead investigators on the murder in room 1046 were Frank Howland and Fred Green. No murder weapon was found in the room. Whoever had assaulted Owen had stripped him and his hotel room almost completely bare. There were no towels, no shampoo, no clothing. All detectives found were a necktie label, a hairpin, a safety pin, an unlit cigarette, and a small unopened bottle of sulfuric acid. Four fingerprints were also found on the telephone stand, and authorities believed that they may belong to a woman. Despite claiming he had been from Los Angeles, no one could find a record of a man named Roland T. Owens in Los Angeles. 
His body was placed for viewing at a local funeral home and police began looking for anyone who knew the man or knew what happened to him that night. Several people were able to identify the man. However, they all knew him by different names. As he had mentioned at check-in, Roland had stayed at other hotels prior to arriving at the hotel president. The staff at the Mullabach Hotel knew him as a guest who requested an interior room, stayed one night, and went by the name Eugene K. Scott of Los Angeles. He'd also stayed at the St. Regis Hotel in town using the name Duncan Ogletree, and there he shared a room with a man who went by Donald Kelso. There was also a wrestling promoter who said Roland had approached him about signing up for some matches a few weeks earlier, this time referring to himself as Cecil Werner of Omaha. Despite this, police were no closer to identifying who the man truly was. They worked with the media to put out calls to the public to identify him. People traveled from all over, hoping that the man was their missing loved one, but to no avail. In the meantime, police also wanted to gather more information about who Dawn was, as well as the woman who possibly left her fingerprints behind in the room. They believed that this Dawn person was the man who was heard responding about the towels when the maid was at the door, but neither Dawn nor the woman could be identified or connected to the crime at this time. In March, after receiving no new information, the decision was made to bury the man in a potter's field. But before the burial could take place, a phone call came in from a woman who refused to identify herself. She said, quote, you have a story in your paper that is wrong. Roland Owen will not be buried in a pauper's grave. Arrangements have been made for his funeral, end quote. When the editor pushed back a little bit and asked her what had happened to him, she said, quote, never mind. I know what I'm talking about. He got into a jam. End quote. Shortly after, another anonymous call came in. It was a mail this time. They called the funeral home and he said he would send the funds to cover the young man's funeral and burial in Kansas City's Memorial Park Cemetery. Before hanging up, he said he was doing this for his sister. He also said, quote, cheaters usually get what's coming to them. As promised, the money arrived on March 23rd, 1935, wrapped in a newspaper, and the man known as Roland Owen was buried. An anonymous order was also placed with a local florist for 13 American Beauty roses to be laid on his grave with a card that read, Love Forever, Louise. Things were quiet in the case until 1936, when a friend of a woman named Ruby Ogletree came across the May 1935 issue of the American Weekly, which included an article about the Roland Owen case. The woman showed her friend Ruby the article, which was titled The Mystery of Room Number 1046. It featured a picture of the man showing his unique scar that was received as a result of a burn as a child. And that's when Ruby knew that it was her son who had left Birmingham in 1934. His real name was Artemis Ogletree, and he was only 17 years old. And this is when she started to put things together. In the spring of 1935, Ruby had received three typewritten letters from her son, which she thought was strange because Artemis didn't know how to type. 
The letters were written using language and tone that didn't sound like her son. One letter said Artemis was in Chicago attending a business school. One said that he was sailing from New York to Europe. And then in August of that year, a man who said his name was Jordan called Ruby and he said he was a friend of her son and claimed that Artemis had saved his life and was now married to a wealthy woman in Cairo, Egypt. Ruby eventually sought help from the police, the FBI, and the American consulate in Egypt, but no one could help her locate her son. And so now over a year later, she's starting to realize that all of the letters had been delivered after her son's death. What? While the young man had his real name and identity confirmed, police were still at a standstill in the investigation. They still wanted to figure out who Don was. And one lead popped up in 1937 when a man who went by the alias Joseph Ogden was arrested for the murder of his roommate. Well, one of his other known aliases was Donald Kelso. And he was similar in appearance to the description of the Donald Kelso who had stayed at the St. Regis with, with Ogletree prior. So could this have been the dawn they were looking for? Well, we still don't know because police were never able to identify him. According to the hotel's elevator operator on the night of the murder, he saw a woman who was about 5'6", with dark hair, wearing a fancy coat and looking for room 1026. The elevator operator later saw the woman with a man from the ninth floor, who some speculate could have possibly been Don. Was this the man who had called to pay for the funeral? Was the woman his sister? Did Artemis get mixed up in an affair, which had highly been speculated? No one really knows, because to this day, the case is still unsolved. And that is the story of the murder in room 1046. I'd love to hear what you think of this case and what your theories are. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for the episode will be listed on the blog post, which is linked to in the show notes. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and also on YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head on over to Patreon. You'll have access to the exclusive Patreon-only episodes with a new one dropping very soon that you guys are going to like. You also get early and ad-free access to these episodes if you subscribe at the $5 per month level or more, plus a lot more. So head over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or a correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. Bye.